Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Friday, November 15th. And uh, I just want to jump in. Uh, last night, the Cleveland Browns beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 21 to 7. And man, there was so much to unpack from that football game. Uh, I want to start with the ending of the game. Uh, there was an incident where the Browns' defensive end, Miles Garrett, ripped off the Steelers' quarterback, Mason Rudolph's helmet, and ended up hitting him with it. <laughs> uh, and it's not a laughing matter. It's just um, that's an uncomfortable laugh. Um, I think it's very clear. Like, Miles Garrett, a lot, of ex- a lot of extracurricular stuff happened. You know, there was punching, there was pushing, there was all kinds of stuff, and a lot of people are saying that Mason Rudolph initiated it. I think Mason Rudolph, the quarterback, was the reason that the fight started. Um, however, if you're Miles Garrett, you got to control your emotion. Uh, I understand it's football. I understand a lot of people are, some people are saying that it's a heat of the moment to the defensive end. His job is to knock the stuffing out of a guy. I understand. Um, you just can't lose composure like that. It makes the game look horribly bad. Um, and Miles Garrett's in the wrong. He's going to get suspended. Uh, Baker Mayfield even said that in his postgame interview. Baker Mayfield said, you can't hurt your own team. And Miles Garrett, he expects him to get suspended. He, he, it's, that's the reality of the situation. Um, there's no defense for Miles Garrett here. He's in the wrong, in my opinion. Uh, it's pretty cut and dry. I don't think we need to go into it much more than that. I know everyone's like, what's your reaction? It's other than it's wrong and it looks makes the sport look bad. I don't have anything else to say because there's nothing more than that. Uh, it's just unacceptable to hit somebody with a helmet. Uh, you can't be doing that. Um, I want to talk more about Baker Mayfield later. I do want to mention, though, that it's really sad that, you know, Miles Garrett's going to get suspended. And this entire game, the last night's game, is going, that's, that's the memory we have of the game last night, is what Miles Garrett did hitting Mason Rudolph with a helmet. We're not going to remember how well Miles Garrett played. Miles Garrett, I was actually shocked. I looked at the stat line, and Miles Garrett didn't have a single sack last night, and I couldn't believe it because he was creating pressure all night on the Steelers quarterback, Mason Rudolph. I mean, I, I guess, you know, Alejandro Villanueva, the left tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, somehow was able to hold him off and not allow him to get a sack. But man, uh, Alejandro Villanueva committed multiple holding penalties. And many, many times, Mason Rudolph was forced to move out of the po- move around within the pocket, step right, step left, and throw the ball downfield because of pressure from Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett had a massive impact on that game last night. And and my opinion is largely the reason why Mason Rudolph struggled playing quarterback last night. Um, we learned key information about the Steelers quarterback, Mason Rudolph, from that game. It's, uh, it's, I'm not really excited about it. It doesn't make me really happy to say. But we learned that Mason Rudolph's accuracy falls off a cliff when he's forced to move around within the pocket. I'm not saying that pressure in his face or getting hit as he throws makes his accuracy dip and makes his accuracy worse. That's not what I'm saying. No, when, when pressure forces him to step to the right or step to the left, simple, small movements within the pocket, Mason Rudolph's accuracy dramatically falls off a cliff. We saw multiple interceptions last night because of Mason Rudolph's inability to slide in the pocket, to reset his feet, and throw an accurate pass downfield. That's not complicated stuff. Look, I, I am, am very, uh, well, we saw moments from Mason Rudolph where he had great protection. There was nobody around him. He had plenty of time. And in moments where there was no chaos around him, he wasn't forced to move. He could play quarterback on his own terms. Mason Rudolph threw accurate passes. I saw two last night, one down the left sideline uh, on like, a, I, can't, I think it was a comeback. I can't remember. And then one on a, a climb route, which is a, a deeper cross over the middle. Both times, Mason Rudolph delivered accurate passes when he was playing quarterback on his own terms, his own time, and there were no bodies around him. However, when bodies were around him, again, his accuracy dramatically dropped off a cliff. And again, to be very clear, this is pressure around him. This is not getting hit as you throw. This is simple stuff, stepping to the right, stepping to the left. Um, It's very, very concerning. Look, I feel bad for Mason Rudolph. Last night, he had constant pressure on his face. Um, you know, two of his receivers got hurt. He lost Juju Smith-Schuster. He lost another guy. He lost uh, his running back. James Conner got injured. A lot of things were working against Mason Rudolph last night. But hurt playmakers or not, 
you know, not having Juju Smith-Schuster and not having your running back, that doesn't affect your accuracy downfield. We saw a, a big flaw in the game of Mason Rudolph. Oh my gosh, he can't handle moving and throwing downfield. It's a big problem. Here's another fact about the game last night for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. The one time they scored was a drive where the Browns basically handed them a touchdown. It was a drive where the Browns committed four defensive penalties in the same drive, literally just handing yards and handing first down after first down to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in fact, on that same drive, both starting safeties for the Browns were injured or were out of the game. You know, we had uh, Morgan Burnett was injured and Demarius Randall was ejected from the game for a targeting penalty. Um, man, it's, it's not good. The one time Mason Rudolph succeeded was when he was handed a touchdown on a silver platter, basically. Ooh, I, if I'm a Steelers fan, I don't feel good about my quarterback situation in Pittsburgh at all. I like Mason Rudolph. He does things I enjoy. Again, there are moments where when there's nothing around him and he has perfect time to throw, he looks good. But I think any quarterback that's competent, when they have nothing but tremendous pass protection and open receivers, a lot of quarterbacks can make those throws. What Mason Rudolph is doing is not that difficult. It's another evolution where I would much rather have Gardner Minshew, the backup quarterback for the Jaguars right now, than I would Mason Rudolph. I would rather have Hank Bachmeyer, the true freshman quarterback at Boise State, over Mason Rudolph right now because Mason Rudolph's inability to move within the pocket is just a massive, glaring concern if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And to make matters worse, if, if in fact Mason Rudolph is not the guy in Pittsburgh. Remember, the Steelers do not have a first-round pick to draft a quarterback in the upcoming NFL draft. They traded away their first-round pick to the Miami Dolphins for Minka Fitzpatrick, a wonderful, talented defensive, defensive uh, what am I saying, a, a defensive back. Why, why was that word escaping me? He's a, he's a great player in the secondary. Minka Fitzpatrick has had a huge impact on their year. I um, Has he? He's had many turnovers. He forces teams to turn over the ball. He's had a couple touchdowns on defense. And that's fantastic. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick, I think, is worth a first-round pick. I think he's a very good player. Oh, However, uh, this is a, a painful reality of football. A quarterback is more valuable than a safety. Last night, the reason why... Look, Minka Fitzpatrick played last night. And, and uh, he did solid. Like, he was not bad. He did not carry the Steelers to victory. The reason why the Steelers couldn't win last night was their quarterback. In my opinion, it's very, very likely the Steelers are going to need a new quarterback down the road. Right now, they don't have an opportunity or an option to get one because they used their first-round pick on Minka Fitzpatrick. That's a huge red flag if you're a Steelers fan. Again, I can acknowledge how, I can acknowledge how incredible Minka Fitzpatrick is, but at the end of the day, would you rather have a franchise quarterback or a franchise starting safety who, who makes big plays from time to time? quarterback is more important it's very painful but it's true and the the other reality it's it's possible that mason rudolph figures things out remember he's still young uh i think i want to give every quarterback about 40 starts before we really evaluate them but the early impression of mason rudolph is not good i've been waiting and waiting and i promise i'll do a film analysis when the year is over i want to collect all the tape give him a real chance then we'll do a year in review of mason rudolph but my early impressions the, the couple times i've watched him this year it's not good he does not play well. He is not wowing me. He's not grabbing my attention. Um, look, I get it. A lot of factors worked against him, but the reality is Mason Rudolph isn't cutting it, and he's not instilling a lot of confidence in himself. I don't have confidence in him. And if you're a Steelers fan, I don't think you do either. He's not been great. Right now, Mason Rudolph's career is a, a, a boat with a bunch of holes, and if he doesn't patch those holes soon, he's going to be a sinking ship. And we're going to have to throw up the, the SOS flag, please help me, because Mason Rudolph's career is very much in jeopardy if he doesn't fix some of the problems. And one of the main problems right now is he has to move better within the pocket. He's got to be able to step to the right, step to the left, step up in the pocket, reset his feet, and throw an accurate pass downfield. The fact he can't do that is mind-boggling, and it's very, very concerning if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. By the way, Mason Rudolph was 23 for 44 passing at 221 yards. Did have a touchdown pass. Uh, had four interceptions, which is just, ooh. And he was sacked four times. Um, you know, one of those interceptions was a bad decision. Multiple of those interceptions were inaccurate passes. I think one was him kind of forcing it downfield. They threw a ball high over the middle. Uh, I think he was trying to make a play. They were down late. 
Uh, I look. I, I feel for Mason Rudolph. It was not fun to watch him get demolished last night, but the reality is he wasn't good enough. How about the Browns? Um, one bright spot for the Cleveland Browns. I want to give the Browns coaching staff credit. I was very, very skeptical. You know, the Browns got this new new toy. I, I, basically, they got a brand new Ferrari, Kareem Hunt. He's a, a running back. He's kind of their he's their gadget player. What that means is they they line him up out wide. They line him up in the slot. They line him up in the backfield at running back. He does everything. He's an incredible athlete for the Cleveland Browns. Last night, he had six carries rushing the ball. He had six catches receiving. And I really, really, really loved the way that the Cleveland Browns used Kareem Hunt in their game plan to create mismatches against the defense. There were multiple catches on third down he had where he made a great play. He's a great addition to that offense. And I was actually wrong. I was very skeptical. I said, man, I don't know. Because I didn't have a lot of faith that the Cleveland Browns would know how to use him. Because I've watched the way the Cleveland Browns have used Odell Beckham Jr. And I've been very unimpressed. I was wrong. The Browns know how to use Kareem Hunt. They've done a great job creating matchups. And he's been a wonderful addition to their team. He helped them last week against the Bills. He helped them again this week against the Steelers. I think Kareem Hunt is a huge X factor for this Browns offense. And it's sad that it's taken, you know, they have Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. Can't make it work. But you add a third star. Apparently, that's the tipping point. That's what the Browns needed. Um... I just wanted to give them credit. They've done a good job with him. I also want to credit Baker Mayfield. Uh, Baker Mayfield's touchdown and interception ratio is slowly creeping back into the positive. Uh, Going into the game, he had nine touchdowns and 12 interceptions. He now has 11 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Slowly but surely, he's getting back to like a a reasonable... Look, it's never going to be great. You don't want to have 12 interceptions on the year. Right now, he sells more interceptions than touchdowns. But in the last three weeks, Baker Mayfield hasn't had an interception, which, look, that's not really something to celebrate. Like, oh, you're doing so good. You didn't screw up horribly, you know. Uh, but he is doing better. That We're seeing progress from Baker Mayfield. Uh, I, again, part of that, I think, is because the schedule's lightened up a little bit. But also, I think it's possible Baker Mayfield's making progress. Not enough. Uh, he's got to do better. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield, a really big thing that's hard to watch is he's really hit or miss with, with Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, there was a play very early in the game where he launched a, a deep ball, a post to Odell Beckham Jr. against man coverage. Odell Beckham Jr. made a great play. They were down at the one-yard line. And I was like, oh, here we go. Baker, OBJ, they're getting in sync. And then as the game went on, it just slowly got worse. And um, there, in fact, I think the, the, the thing I remember that sticks in my brain the most is a deep out route to Odell Beckham Jr. where he threw it like 10 yards too far downfield, really high over his head. I was like, man, these two guys are just not on the same page. I don't know what it's going to take for Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield to get on the same page. But right now, it's not working. And it's, uh, I'm not a Browns fan. I'm a football fan. And I was hoping to see Baker and OBJ just light it up. I really like, that's an interesting story. It would have been really cool. And it's very disappointing that we're not getting that this year. We're not getting Baker Mayfield having a great year with OBJ. And it's it's, it's a disappointing, like a missed storyline that we could have had in the NFL this year that we just don't have. And instead, the storyline is, why are they so bad? And maybe that's a film analysis we'll need at the end of the year. Um, but it's, it's not great. Uh, I really, really liked Baker Mayfield's post-game interview, who is very honest. He was honest about uh, Miles Garrett. He was honest about the offense. He said, we're not good enough. He was right. Um, he said, he, well, I think the quote he said, he said, we're not even close to good enough, which is, hey, you're, you're dead on. The, the Steelers had a bunch of turnovers. He pointed out that they didn't capitalize on turnovers. Again, I totally agree. The Browns should have blown out the Steelers by like five touchdowns last night. They didn't because their offense was st- still struggling and sputtering at times. Um, however, the key to me is progress. We're seeing a Browns team steadily learn. And it's, it's really, I think it's unfortunate. Their head coach is learning on the fly. I think if they'd had a more polished head coach who knew what he was doing, uh, they would have learned the lessons they're learning. They would have had them already figured out going into week one. Instead, we've seen a coach kind of learn on the fly and, I think that's what happens when you hire a very inexperienced head coach. He was the most inexperienced of all the new NFL head coaching hires. You know, Freddie Kitchens was. I don't think he's been ready for the task, you know, handling the culture, the playbook, the the personalities, everything, you know, all-encompassing the stuff that it takes to be a head coach. I don't think Freddie Kitchens was ready for it. But we are seeing a Browns team make progress. The offense, you know, Nick Chubb is running the ball really well. Kareem Hunt really helps in the passing game. And the Browns won. I mean, they've won two games in a row. And I, I look ahead at their schedule. I think it's still possible they finish 9-7. and seven. Uh, More likely they finish 8-8 eight and because eight they're the Browns, and you're going to lose a game you don't expect to. 
And if it could be far more if they don't take care of business. Their offense is still sputtering, still not great. And the reality is the Steelers kind of handed them a victory last night. But um, I have seen progress from the Browns, and I'm excited about that. I got to add one final thing. Um, I, I know that <laughs> I have to mention this. I really enjoy the Baker Mayfield commercials. I, I know uh, a lot of people hate them. I, dude, I get it. He's just asking for, to be hated on uh, when he makes a commercial. Um, I really, you know, the, the at home with Baker Mayfield commercial series to me, whether you love them or hate them, it's funny. They're, re- they're relatable. Uh, I just got my own place and, uh, I had a problem where like I heard a, 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 what do you call the, uh, a smoke alarm. I was like, where, where's that coming from? And I have a tiny little place. And I was like, well, it can't be that. And it took me like 20 minutes to find it in the, in the tiny little place I live in. I was like, what the heck? And so the Baker Mayfield commercial last night was a smoke alarm. And I was like, He's like walking around the stadium trying to find the smoke alarm. I was like, I just find this incredibly relatable. And I, I just, every one of them I've seen, whether he's turning on the power, trying to help his girlfriend make a smoothie, or he's saying thanks for coming to people leaving the stadium, whatever it is, like he's hosting a party, whatever it is, every time I watch one of these at home with Baker Mayfield commercials, I, I just, I just, I love them. I, I know that, um, that might not be a popular opinion. I, I get it. I think people hate him. I, I just think to me, it's a fun time. Like, it's unfortunate he's not succeeding. I can separate the art of uh, the, the commercial from the play on the field. And to me, the play on the field is awful. But what I'm seeing on the commercials makes me laugh. And I just wanted to share that. It's really, really funny. All in all, um, the Steelers lost to the Browns. And I'm, I, I think the, the final point I want you to take home is I'm really concerned about the Steelers quarterback situation. Their quarterback, Mason Rudolph. You know, Baker Mayfield has flashes where he looks really good. And I, I think that there's a... there's you can work with what Baker Mayfield has. The, the, the base and the, the foundation of Baker Mayfield, you can win with that. If you can just mold that and keep shaping that and hoping it gets better. The, the, the foundation of Mason Rudolph, the quarterback of the Steelers, is not, you know, it's not great. It's not making me feel good. It's not making me feel like there can be progress made. And uh, that's, that's the bigger concern. Look, he's a great backup quarterback. He makes good throws underneath. Uh, he does stuff I like, but all in all, I am concerned about Mason Rudolph, the Steelers quarterback, and his future career. I don't know. We have questions still to be answered. Is he the guy? I know we're only seven starts in, and we'll really know more at 40 starts in, but we might not have time to get there. Uh, I'm concerned about the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback situation, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what's next for them. It just makes me concerned. Okay, um... I want to shift gears to college football. There are six college football games this weekend I really, really look forward to watching. I want to start with number 23, Navy, at number 16, Notre Dame. Um, the reason why I care about this game, I'll be very honest. Uh, I don't know. Any, I know Ian Buck, the quarterback of Notre Dame. Uh, I know, like, that, that's really, that's the only person, I, the only name I know I can name Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. I can't name you a single name of the people that play in this game. However, you guys, the people listening to the show, have sent me so, so many messages about this game. Like, for, like, the last five weeks, Notre Dame, Notre Dame Navy, Notre Dame Navy, it's going to be good, it's going to be good. It's building the anticipation. So, look, I have no idea what to expect on Saturday when I watch Notre Dame and Navy. However, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it, and I'm going to have something to say about it on Saturday night. So I am. Uh, I, I just wanted to be very clear. I don't know what I'm getting into with, with this game, but I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to watch it and have some kind of analysis afterwards. Um, you know, to me, though, it's really cool. The one storyline I've found that I really enjoy is that Navy was, you know, 3-10 and 10 last year. They won three games. They lost 10. Uh, for them to turn things around, you know, Navy 7-1, and one, Notre Dame is 7-2. and two. There's an opportunity for Navy to beat Notre Dame in South Bend. I don't know if it's going to happen, but to me, the fact that it's even in, in question is really, really cool to me. And so I'm excited for Navy. I'm excited to watch what happens. I have nothing else to say other than that, other than to say, look, we will see what happens and we will talk about it. I promise. I've been getting so many messages and I'm going to watch the game. I promise I'll watch the game and uh, we will enjoy it together uh, after the game ends. Another game I'm excited to watch is Michigan State at number 15, Michigan. Uh, look, uh, I'm using the college football playoff rankings. Michigan State is unranked. They are 4-5. and five. Michigan is 7-2. and two. On paper, Michigan's a better football team. However, <laughs> this is a big rivalry game. And historically, between Michigan and Michigan State, crazy stuff happens. Whether it's a block punt on the last play that runs back for a touchdown, or who knows, all kinds of bedlam happens 
when Michigan plays Michigan State, I'm going to watch the game. I hope you watch the game. Uh, I'm excited to see what happens. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that Michigan-Michigan State is probably going to be an interesting matchup and something fun is going to happen on Saturday. Another game I'm excited to watch is number four, Georgia, at number 12, Auburn. Man, uh, I think Auburn's interesting because they lost to you know, Oregon and LSU are two top-ranked teams in college football. They beat Oregon, and they lost to LSU by three points. And other than a loss to Georgia, or to, excuse me, to, to Florida, they're right there. Auburn's a very talented, interesting football team. And, you know, so is Georgia. Georgia has one loss, and they're really good. I mean, Georgia lost to South Carolina. It was kind of a fluky game where their offense was bad. And that's the problem with Georgia. Their offense is bad. <laughs> uh, I love their quarterback, Jake Fromm. I think he's awesome. I don't think he's coached very well. I don't think the play design has been very impressive at Georgia. It's really hard to watch Georgia and then look at LSU, where LSU has taken a, a solid quarterback, Joe Burrow, and turned him into a superstar with good play design. They brought in Joe Brady from the NFL, and LSU changed their entire offense. They recognized a the weakness and changed it. Georgia hasn't recognized their weakness yet, and they need to make some kind of hire to change things. It's not working in Georgia. Uh, their defense is phenomenal. They have top recruits in the nation, but the offense is holding them back. And so that's why this game could be interesting. Auburn is a good enough team, and they might have a true freshman quarterback. They might have problems on offense. They couldn't move the ball very well against LSU. But Auburn is interesting and I think could challenge Georgia. I think Georgia wins this game, but pay attention to Georgia-Auburn. It's a huge matchup because it's a potential moment where Georgia could slip up again this year and made to look really bad because their offense is clearly the problem. We also have number eight, Minnesota. At number 20, Iowa. I'm a big Iowa guy. Uh, I love Kirk Ferentz, their head coach. He's a, a, a guy whose culture I appreciate. And, you know, Iowa just went toe-to-toe. They barely lost to Wisconsin last week. Um, Minnesota's 9-0. and Here's the question about Minnesota. Can they go into hostile territory? They had a huge victory last week, and they beat Penn State at home. Can they go to Iowa, where everybody in the city of Iowa is, uh, I guess the state of Iowa, but it's Iowa City is where the school is located. I, yes, I, I believe. Is it Des Moines? I don't know. I don't remember. It's Iowa. I've never been to Iowa. However, I like it. It seems like a wonderful place. Um, point is this. Can Minnesota go into Iowa, a hostile territory, and win a really tough road game? I'm excited. Can they stay undefeated? That's the question to me. And I'm excited to watch PJ Flex team go into Iowa and see what that kind of product they deliver. It's going to be a blast between Minnesota and Iowa. Another undefeated team, you know, Minnesota is undefeated. You also have Baylor, who's undefeated in college football right now. They're 9-0. and uh, Number 10, Oklahoma is 8-1. They lost a game earlier this year. Number 10, Oklahoma is going to number 13, Baylor in Waco, Texas. And I think it's possible that finally... The annoying fans of Baylor get shut up this weekend. I don't. I mean, look, Baylor fans, I'm happy you're having a great year. You're not a college football playoff team, and it would just make the point very clear if Oklahoma wipes the floor with Baylor this weekend. So if Baylor, you could do that, that'd be great because I'm really tired of the comments I'm getting. Uh, I, I, I joke, I, jo- I promise. Um, no, I, I think there's a chance, though, that Oklahoma does embarrass Baylor. Uh, their offense is far more capable. Look, Oklahoma's defense is not great. Oklahoma's not a college football playoff team. They've been very underwhelming this year however you still got to recognize game and the fact is that Oklahoma is incredibly impressive on offense and they could run away with this game they could put up 54 points and win like 54 to 45 because their offense is so you know impressive um I, I recommend you follow that game what happens with Baylor you know what'd be really cool if Baylor won if Baylor won a close game against Oklahoma I will shut up forever I will I will listen and be okay I will admit, if Baylor goes 10-0 to start the year, fine. Put him in a New Year's Six Bowl. Give him a great skit. You know, do whatever you want. I don't think they beat Oklahoma this weekend, but follow that game. It'll be fun to talk about what happens, and I'm curious to see what happens. One more game I want to talk about. Unranked UCLA goes into Salt Lake City to play number 7 Utah. I've been to Salt Lake City. I've been to Rice-Eckley Stadium. It's a great place to play football, great place to watch football. Um, I am, I'm curious about this game for one reason. Utah's probably going to win this game. That's not what's interesting to me. What's interesting to me is how does UCLA lose? <laughs> I, I look. I know you're like UCLA fans are like, well, yeah, that makes sense because <laughs> they're you know the, the, it's a really low esteem uh, university. UCLA is four and five, and they have a head coach named Chip Kelly who's in his second year, who's won in the past at Oregon. He's a former NFL coach. 
Um, and UCLA has this young quarterback, Dorian Thompson Robinson, who at times has really good moments and at times does not. My question is, does UCLA lose 35 to zero? Or do they lose 35 to 23, 35 to 28? Will UCLA put out some kind of impressive performance where they can hang around and they can keep it interesting? That's what I want to find out. How does UCLA handle a really tough environment in Salt Lake City on Saturday uh, and a, a, you know, play against a really good defense? I think UCLA, their spirit as a football team is going to be tested. I've been, uh, I haven't talked about it yet, but I've been steadily watching University of Kansas with Les Miles and UCLA with Chip Kelly, kind of wondering, like, are these programs, two really good head coaches who've succeeded in the past, can they make it happen? Les Miles, I watch at Kansas, and it leaks out of him. He loves it. He's there. It's not just a job to Les Miles. Les Miles is there because he's passionate about coaching football. Is it just a job to Chip Kelly? Or is he passionate about his guys? What kind of it doesn't leak out. When I watch Chip Kelly, it could be that he's very guarded and just like Bill Belichick and doesn't want to give it away. But I haven't seen any real passion from Chip Kelly yet this year. That's what I think we're going to find out. We're going to learn a lot about UCLA this weekend when they play Utah. How do they lose? Do they lose and do they fight? Or do they lose and do they give up? So again, the six games I'm excited to watch. We're going to watch Navy at Notre Dame. God, I have no idea what I'm getting into. It should be fun. Watch Michigan State at Michigan. Georgia at Auburn, Minnesota at Iowa, Baylor at, excuse me, Oklahoma at Baylor and Waco, Texas, an undefeated team against an eight and one Oklahoma should be fun. And then uh, if you're still awake on the East Coast or maybe maybe you're on the West Coast and you're like, hey, it's like it's only 10 o'clock and whatever. Um, watch UCLA at Utah just for a couple minutes. Just check in. Like, what's the score? How how interesting is that game? How does UCLA fight in a really tough matchup where they are massively outmatched. Guys, those are the six college football games I am excited to watch this weekend. Okay, uh, there are three really good NFL team, NFL games. There are three good NFL games, in my opinion, this weekend. It's week 11. Uh, I want to start with the Jaguars at the Colts. Uh, the Colts are a better team I, I, than the Jaguars. Like, just they're top to bottom, whether it's the offensive line, the defensive line. I know talent, it's not as big a difference as in college football, but talent does matter. The question is the quarterback position for the Jaguars. The Jaguars took out their quarterback. They benched Gardner Minshew and replaced him with their Nick guy, Nick Foles. They paid Nick Foles a lot of money. They brought him in as a free agent this offseason. The plan was for Nick Foles to be the franchise quarterback in Jacksonville. And uh, it's a very, it's been a very controversial move because the city of Jacksonville, the, that fan base has rallied behind Gardner Minshew, who's my favorite player in the NFL. I love him. I knew him in college. He's great. He's awesome. Um, I'm curious to see what happens. How does Nick Foles play? There's a lot of pressure on Nick Foles. And I don't blame the Jaguars for benching Gardner Minshew. He had chances to win games. He was four and six as a starter. Was he? No, he's he's five and he's four and five as a starter, but he he lost one game. He didn't start. Uh, Point is the Jaguars were four and six. They weren't winning with Gardner Minshew, even though he was playing very well and surprising a lot of people. Um, So I think they had this big investment in Nick Foles. I don't blame them for putting out Nick Foles to play and saying Gardner Minshew, we're sorry. However, I'm still curious how Nick Foles plays. There's a lot of pressure on him. How does he do this weekend? That's the question he needs to answer. We also have the Texans at the Ravens. Oh, my goodness. Uh, This is a game where, look, I I know I talk about quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are my thing. I talk about quarterbacks all the time. This is one of those games that you circle like six months ago and you go, that game is going to be fun. It's I guess maybe we wouldn't have because we didn't realize how great Lamar Jackson was going to be. But the minute Lamar Jackson showed signs of being good, like two weeks ago, I started getting messages about this game saying, uh, hey, Zach, you realize that Deshaun Watson's about to play Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's going to be fun. So I hope you understand. Um, it should be a blast for one reason alone. You have a really interesting quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and a really talented quarterback, Lamar Jackson. And I think they're going to, I hope, I hope they put up a lot of points. I hope it's dramatic and emotional. I hope it comes down to the last minute. I have no idea. But a big stage, I'm surprised it's not the primetime game this weekend. However, again, I recommend tune into the Texans at the Ravens. It's going to be a blast for the sole reason of the fact that these two quarterbacks can light it up. They can put up a lot of points. They can run around a little bit. It's going to be very interesting. I cannot wait to watch on Sunday. The final game I want to talk about um, 
is is you know from from two really talented, incredible quarterbacks. Let's talk about two struggling quarterbacks. Uh, we have the Bears going to Los Angeles to play against the Rams. The Bears are four and five. The Rams are five and four. And these are very similar teams, in my opinion. We have two coaches who, you know, Sean McVay and Matt Nagy, two coaches who I think won Coach of the Year back-to-back, actually, uh, who have in the past been recognized as really good offensive minds, who this year have not been doing as well as we expected and do not look like the geniuses we've touted them as in the past. You know, Matt Nagy, man, the, the, the viewpoint of Matt Nagy and the, the opinion and the polls are just dropping very quickly. And the people are losing faith very quickly in, what's his name? Oh my gosh, why can't I think of his name? The head, Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams. Isn't that weird, by the way, how names just drop out of your head? So I'm like, I know Sean McVay very, very well. Like his name, I talk about him all the time. His name just popped out of my brain for whatever reason. Um, happens to me a lot. I'm just stupid, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, the point is that we have two very similar teams with head coaches who've been highly thought of that are struggling. Two struggling quarterbacks, in my opinion, with Jared Goff and you know Mit- uh, Mitchell Trubisky, who has not at all been good enough. And then two defenses that are really interesting. You know, Aaron Donald's phenomenal uh, with the Rams. Khalil Mack is phenomenal with the Bears. Two really good, I think, interesting defenses. And uh, I'm excited to see which quarterback shows up, who plays better, who looks smart. I, for, for me, like as a football nerd who likes schematics and likes quarterback play, I'm just excited to watch this game because I, I don't know what to expect. You know, people are, there's a lot of criticism of both teams and both offenses, and I'm excited to watch what happens and who does better and learn some habits and just kind of enjoy the game and sit back and I'll probably have popcorn and just enjoy what happens who, who plays better and how do they play and just to analyze it all is going to be really fun on Sunday night. So the Bears at the Rams should be a blast. Guys, those are the three NFL games I'm excited to watch this weekend. Um, I was going to take a short break. However, I'm feeling good. I'm going to just keep going. It's time for Ask Zach. Ask Zach is my favorite part of the podcast. I love it. Uh, it's the end of this way I end every single show. So if you support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. You can give me more money if you want. It really helps pay my bills. Literally, it's very important to me as I'm trying to find and pull up the, the Google Docs with all the questions. Um, I only accept questions on Patreon. You can send me a Patreon direct message or you can comment on a post on Patreon. And if you pay me a dollar a month or whatever you want, please pay me more. It really, really legitimately pays my rent. It would help a lot. Um, I will not guarantee to discuss your question on the show, but I do guarantee to look at your question with my eyeballs. I read all of them with my eyes. And then I pick the top couple and I answer them at the end of every single podcast uh, to read, I read and discuss them on the show. I want to start with a question from, um, actually, you know, I was going to start with a guy named Numbered. I'm going to start with Adam. Adam writes in and says, Adam says, hey, Zach, I'm not really a Boise State fan, but I watched a couple games and I find Hank Bachmeyer to be an interesting quarterback prospect. I doubt he'll ever be an NFL quarterback, but he really reminds me of Kellen Moore. What do you think of him? Uh, man, Adam, first of all, thank you so much for the recommendation. I went down a ridiculous rabbit hole. I watched a ton of Boise State football. You know, I've got, I've got the benefit. I have YouTube TV. That's how I watch NFL games, or how I watch all of my football games, actually. And I have Boise State, ironically, saved as a favorite team. So every time they play on TV, it records it. And so I have a whole backlog of Boise State games. And to answer this question, I ended up watching like, oh my gosh, like 10 hours of Boise State football, just a ridiculous amount. And I was like, I'm like, this guy, Hank Bachmeyer, can play. I was shocked. I was like, who is this guy? Um, I, I think that the Kellen Moore comparison is actually a disservice. He's got a better arm than Kellen Moore. Uh, he's a better physical athlete. You know, he does some NFL stuff I really like. I was very, to be very clear, I was shocked. The reason why I kept watching Hank Bachmeyer, if he's bad, I literally wouldn't have talked about it on the show. You know how many people ask me, hey, talk about... Uh, ex-quarterback, and they want me to talk about some quarterback from their favorite team who's probably trash, and I don't. Uh, the, the, one, the one person I want to talk about who I haven't yet is Matt McGloin, uh, the quarterback. He's, he's an XFL quarterback, so we'll talk about him when the NFL season is over leading into the XFL year. But if you're the guy out there who keeps sending me Matt McGloin messages, please understand, I promise at some point I will talk about, you know, is it Max McGloin? What's his name? Matt, Matt McGloin, excuse me, Matt McGloin. I loved watching him at Penn State. We'll talk about it. But the point is Hank Bachmeyer. Um, what Hank Bachmeyer does to me that's so impressive is he moves in the pocket 
so well. He handles pressure. He slides to the right, slides to the left. He throws an accurate pass downfield. He does NFL stuff, which is like, the dude's a true freshman. Again, he's 20 years old. He's clearly was held back or something happened earlier in his life. He's like the oldest true freshman I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but wow, he is doing great stuff. He's practicing stuff that he's going to do if he ever plays in the NFL. His arm is not as strong as, as I would like, to be honest. The ball kind of tails off and dies at the end. But I still think that Hank Bachmeyer's arm is strong enough to play in the NFL. Um, I'm going to make a comparison. Please, 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 please do not latch onto this too strongly. Hank Bachmeyer has similar arm talent and arm strength to Mitchell Trubisky. If Mitchell Trubisky was accurate, that's, that's a horrible, you know, that's a problem with making comparisons is now you're going to say Hank Bachmeyer is terrible. No, if, if Hank Bachmeyer, so Hank Bachmeyer is a true freshman starting at Boise State. He's going to play four years, then go to the NFL. Mitchell Trubisky only played one year in college as a starter. If Mitchell Trubisky played for four years and really had time to develop his game and become more polished, he might have become a better quarterback where he, he might be even succeeding in the NFL right now. Hank Bachmeyer is what Mitchell Trubisky could have been. Their arm strength is similar. That's what, where we started this rabbit hole. But Hank Bachmeyer's movement in the pocket is incredible. His decision-making. He steps into pressure. He gets nailed as he throws, but he doesn't mind it. He steps into it and throws a great ball downfield. Uh, he extends plays really well. He keeps his eyes downfield. In fact, I recommend, if you're a nerd about football, go watch Boise State versus uh, Florida State. I was so blown away with how well Hank Bachmeyer played. I was like, this kid is lighting. He's incredible. And so, you know, the, what comes to mind when I watch Hank Bachmeyer, there, there's a, a, a phrase I said where he's practicing stuff he's going to do in the NFL. You know who doesn't do that? Jake Fromm, the quarterback at Georgia. I like Jake Fromm. He's a great leader. He does some stuff I like. Jake Fromm, in the pocket, never has to really move around. Jake Fromm has time to sit in the pocket with nobody around him for like six or eight seconds, and he's not practicing what he's going to do in the NFL. I think guys like Hank Bachmeyer who go to Boise State and have pressure in their face and have to move in the pocket and step to the right, step to the left. Guys like Gardner Minshew, Washington State. Gardner Minshew had to learn how to handle pressure, how to handle moving in the pocket. You know who never learned how to handle moving in the pocket? Mason Rudolph, the Steelers quarterback. Mason Rudolph has not done a good job moving in the pocket. At Oklahoma, he had time to throw forever. He threw the ball deep, and it's unrealistic. That's not what's going to happen in the NFL. Hank Bachmeyer, on a daily basis— Runs play action, runs NFL-style concepts. Hank Bachmeyer is developing himself into an NFL quarterback. I think he could come out of nowhere and be at the top of draft board someday, and we're like, where did this kid Hank Bachmeyer come from? And you're like, uh, Zach Schaumler talked about him four years ago when he was doing NFL stuff as a true freshman at Boise State. My point is, dude, Adam, thank you so much. I had a blast. I literally like spent my entire day the other day watching Hank Bachmeyer stuff because I'm a nerd and I love it. Um, and I was so, 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 so impressed with what I saw. I also watched a couple interviews. Uh, I really like his personality. He seems to have a lot of good character. And you, you, it leaks out of a guy. You watch an interview and you're like, this guy has presence. I like who he is. And um, my point is that on and off the field, I am just so impressed with Hank Bachmeyer. He's a really impressive quarterback. He does NFL-style stuff. He's only a true freshman. Pay attention to him. He's better than Keaton Slovis, who's a quarterback at USC. I talked about Keaton Slovis the other day. I was like, oh, well, Keaton Slovis does some NFL stuff. <laughs> he gets blown out of the water by Hank Bachmeyer. Hank Bachmeyer might be the best true freshman quarterback in the entire nation. Uh, very impressed with him. Boise State has a good one. And keep your eye on Hank Bachmeyer down the road from an NFL perspective. He might develop into, I think he's already there. He's going to really give him some time. He could possibly be a first-round quarterback down the road and the NFL draft, if he keeps progressing and doing what he's doing, uh, what I didn't see was a lot of mistakes. I know I'm rambling now about Hank Bachmeyer. I'm just gushing about how much I love this kid. Uh, what I didn't see was a lot of bad interceptions. I saw like I saw one against Florida State, and I saw a couple throws that were not great, uh, where like it's not the best velocity that I would like. It's maybe contested, but you know some quarterbacks make horrible, horrible interceptions where it's like, oh my gosh, how did you not see that defender? I didn't see that from Hank Bachmeyer. I saw throws that are like, you know, you might be, you know, biting off a little more than you can chew. That's a really tough throw into a tight window. But he wasn't throwing throws where they were just awful decisions. So point is, I'm endlessly impressed with Hank Bachmeyer. Pay attention to him. He's a good quarterback. My next question is from a guy named Numbered. He's got a three where the E would be. N-U-M-B three red. Uh, he says, hey, Zach, 
I've been watching since early last offseason, and I can't believe how fast you've been growing. Thank you, man. I love it. He said, my question is, which team do you see improving drastically over the next couple seasons? Who do you think is making the right decisions as far as coaching, drafting, and signing to set up their team for success in the near future? Right off the bat, uh, the two teams that came to mind for me that I've been really thinking about for a long time are the Arizona Cardinals and the Raiders. Uh, I want to start with the Cardinals. I love what they're doing. They have a a new head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, who I really like, who's building a culture. Here's the thing with Cliff Kingsbury. The reason why I like Cliff Kingsbury is because Larry Fitzgerald believes in him. Larry Fitzgerald's a Hall of Fame receiver. Larry Fitzgerald could have very easily retired this year and said, here's the thing. If Cliff Kingsbury was a bad head coach, Larry Fitzgerald, who is like in his 20th year in the NFL, would say, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm old. I'm going to retire. I'm not going to work with you. I don't believe in you. I appreciate you. Bye. I think that's what happened with Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas, um, you know, Hugh Jackson was the head coach of uh, the Cleveland Browns. And Joe Thomas was like, I'm, I don't believe in you. I'm not going to work with you anymore. I know I can play a little more. I'm just done. I'm going to walk away. Larry Fitzgerald didn't do that. Larry Fitzgerald told, chose to stay in the NFL because he believed in Cliff Kingsbury. And guess what happened in Arizona? Between Kyler Murray, the new rookie quarterback, and Cliff Kingsbury, and the culture they're building in Arizona, they've become overnight a fun football team. Last week, Arizona lost to the Buccaneers. I was very disappointed, by the way. Uh, I thought the Buccaneers gave them opportunities, and the Cardinals didn't make it happen. There were moments where I was like, man, the Cardinals should win this game, and they didn't. But the fact that I was on the edge of my seat, like all in on an Arizona Cardinals game for the first time in a couple of years is a big deal. If you watch the Cardinals last year, and then watch them this year. They're not winning. Like, they're, they're winning a couple more games, I guess. But the big difference is it's competitive. It's interesting. It's fun. And I think the team that's really building themselves and setting themselves up to succeed is the Arizona Cardinals. That's a really tough division where you got Russell Wilson. You got the Rams, who went to the Super Bowl the last year. Uh, you have the San Francisco 49ers, who are incredible. Right now, the Cardinals are the fourth team in that division. They got to make some changes. They got to do stuff good if they want to win in that division and... I don't know, man. What I'm seeing from the Cardinals is good, is heading in the right direction. Of all the young teams with a new head coach and young quarterback, they're the team, the Giants. Um, like the, the two teams that I'm most impressed with are the Ravens and the Cardinals. The Ravens are already good. That's why I didn't put them in this list. But like, compare Sam Darnold, uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, Josh Allen with the Bills. Oh, although the Bills, I like what they're doing. I think they are headed in the right direction. The Cardinals are the team that I'm most excited about, where I'm like, this is a team really making changes, really headed in the right direction. And that actually, while I talk about that, I should mention the Bills. Uh, they've got this great defense. they got a young quarterback. I just need to watch the film of Josh Allen because I don't know what to make of him. He's had some bad moments, some good moments. Uh, the Bills maybe deserve to be in this conversation. But the other team I'm really most confident about, the one team I really believe that is turning things around and making great decisions from top to bottom from a management standpoint that leaks into their locker room. It's the Raiders. The Raiders are, are not getting it. I haven't even talked about them all year. Uh, they deserve so much more love. Uh, first of all, I love their head coach, John Gruden. I think he's the real deal. He can coach. And he's got a 10-year contract, so he's in no hurry. He's doing it his way. He's taking his time and building a solid foundation. They had the coach figured out. They have a good general manager, Mike Mayock, who's doing a good job with with John him and John Gruden. It works. And then you look at Derek Carr, who for years a lot of people have been very like. I think the truth is I got to do a film analysis of Derek Carr just to show people how good he is. Um, he's not been perfect. He's struggled. He's been had highs and lows. And I think after his back injury, he was a little bit nervous about getting hit for a while. Where he was like early in the year last year was throwing balls away. We were like, "What, dude? There's no pressure. What are you doing?" Um, but Derek Carr, don't forget, a couple of years ago, he was like the NFL MVP. Like, like they were, they made the playoffs, and Derek Carr was playing the best quarterback of the. He was playing better than any other quarterback that year. And I was like, Derek Carr's lighting it up. He looks phenomenal. Then he gets hurt. He misses the rest of the year. They play like, oh my gosh, Connor Cook at quarterback in their playoff game. They got destroyed. It was painful. And my point is that you know, Jared Cook. Uh, what am I saying? I got, I got text that threw me off. A copyright claim. Another one, of course. I hate copyright claims. It's like I get them every day. It's ridiculous. It's whatever. Um, like on content where it's just me talking. My point is this, is that Derek Carr is one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the entire NFL. He's phenomenal. 
He does a really good job. He's a true professional. And he's had success in the past where I go, I think, I mean, I, I don't know why, I don't know why Raiders fans have such a hard time embracing him. Like people are ready to get rid of him and move away. I thought it was pretty clear when they gave him a big contract. He's a franchise quarterback. For whatever reason, they gave him a big contract and was like, oh, well, um, no. I'm like, well, he had a coaching change and all kinds of turmoil. My opinion is Derek Carr's phenomenal and the Raiders organization. I love the way they are drafting. I like the way they're building things. The Raiders are headed in the right direction. And if there's any team in the NFL that I believe really strongly in, the one team I choose is the Raiders. I think they have a great quarterback, a great head coach, a great general manager. They have draft picks in the future. And they're moving to a good city in Las Vegas where I think you're going to make a lot of money and be whether they're the team that like Packers fans are going to go to Las Vegas to watch their team play the Raiders. Maybe they play a bunch of away games in their own city. That's fine with me. The Raiders are going to make a lot of money. They're going to be a home run in Vegas. And uh, I I think that they have a Super Bowl at some point in their future. I think John Gruden can figure it out with Derek Carr at quarterback with Mike Mayock at general manager. There's a future there with the Raiders that I believe in. And similar to what we saw like two years ago with the 49ers, they, they got a quarterback, they got a head coach, they got a general manager. I was like, hey, uh, for the record, the 49ers are building something. They look really, really good. I thought it was actually next year the 49ers would pop, not this year. But very similar to that, the Raiders are a team that are building something, and there is a future there where they're going to be phenomenal. Dude, I've been talking for almost 48 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, just continuously. Like, do my, try it, man. It's, it's not easy. I want to listen to a question from Patrick. I really like Patrick's question. It's very interesting. Patrick says, hey, Zach, what's up? I hope you have a nice day. <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, my question today is, is Chuba Hubbard the most underrated player in all of college football? He currently leads the nation in rushing yards by far, averages almost seven yards per carry, and is second in rushing touchdowns in the nation. Although he's on an average team, nobody talks about him, though. Why do you think that, why do you think that is? What do you think of him? Let me know. Greetings, Patrick. Um, so Chuba Hubbard leads the nation in, leads college football in rushing yards. He has 1,604 rushing yards. He has 18 rushing touchdowns. And he plays at Oklahoma State. I'll be honest, I don't know why no one talks about him. I, I watch this film and I say, this is a guy who makes really good cuts, who has good vision. Uh, he's really fast. He's a home run hitter, right? He, if he gets a big hole up the middle, he's gone. You're not going to touch him. And I don't know if it's because people think his offensive line is really good or it's because he's not breaking tackles or maybe it's just the fact that he's not the biggest running back. You know, he's Cuba Hubbard is 6'1", 207, which I guess that's not 240. Like, it's not 245. It's not huge. But I, I see stuff, and he's also not like a I, – I don't know. I actually don't know. I really don't know what's going on. Why isn't Chuba Hubbard a bigger deal? Uh, I, if there are any NFL scouts listening, I know people listen to the show that are NFL scouts. Reach out to me. Uh, I want to know what your opinion is on Chuba Hubbard because I don't, I don't, for the life of me, I don't understand it. Um, it's for me, you know, Chuba Hubbard is not huge. He's six one two oh seven, but he's also not tiny. Uh, D'Anthony Thomas a couple of years ago was the the running back of the Oregon Ducks. He was tiny. Like we could all watch D'Anthony Thomas and say that dude's not going to work in the NFL. He's too small. I don't, Chuba Hubbard's like, hey, maybe he's too small. He's definitely going to work in the XFL, if not the NFL. But I have a hard time believing that no NFL teams are going to look at Chuba Hubbard and say, we'll spend a third round draft pick on that guy. Like, yeah, of course. He's Kenyon Drake. Like, I, I think there's, there's, a good, there's a good base there. And so for me, honestly, I'll be very clear and candid. Um, this is a learning moment for me. I know NFL quarterbacks really well. And I know what it takes. Like, I can look at the film and say, that guy's an NFL quarterback. That guy's not. That guy is, that guy's not. And then you look at NFL running backs, and you look at Derrick Henry, and you say, that guy's an NFL running back. He's running over people. He's incredibly big, incredibly physical. Uh, When I watch Chuba Hubbard, I don't go, automatically that guy's an NFL running back because he's not the big, bruising Leonard Fournette or the Derrick Henry or the Mark Ingram, right? He's not the biggest guy. But maybe he's Alvin Kamara. Like, I, I don't know. I genuinely am curious. And so for me, it's a big learning moment in my career as an evaluator of talent. When we watch Chuba Hubbard leave Oklahoma State and go play pro football, I want to pay attention to his career and say, does he succeed or does he not? And why? We're going to like Chuba Hubbard is going to be a new case study. I'm excited to watch. Does he fail or not? And what can we learn from Chuba Hubbard when we see other NFL running back prospects? We'll find out with Chuba Hubbard. He's got a very interesting player that... 
gets no love and no attention. I think it's because his team is bad. Like Jonathan Taylor with, with Wisconsin was winning games and leading the nation. So people are like, oh, Jonathan Taylor. For whatever reason, Chuba Hubbard gets no love. Um, and I, I don't know why. So we're going to learn from his career. I, I promise, like a year from now, this time next year, we'll do a video on Chuba Hubbard and say, did he succeed? Did he fail? Please remind me of it. Um, I'm excited to watch what happens there. Getting a, I get so many spam phone calls. Why? This why. Grapevine, Texas. 682 number. Go away. I don't want to talk to you. Um, Jonah writes in. Jonah says, hey, Zach. Just wanted to get your opinion on what you think the primary issue for the 49ers in Monday Night's game against the Seahawks was. It was definitely a defensive battle, but do you think the Niners' main issue is not being able to keep Jadavion Clowney off of Garoppolo? Or was it our receivers dropping multiple catches in too many crucial moments? Thank you for reading and love the show. Listening to your listening to you truly re-sparked my love for the game of football. Thank you so much, Jonah. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, so look, the 49ers did drop a lot of passes down the stretch. The 49ers dropped a lot of passes. It cost them big time against the Seattle Seahawks. How, however, um, for all the drops and for all the mistakes, it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have opportunities. Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, I understand there's pressure in his face. There's a lot of things you can be, but that's just what a messy football game is. A messy football game is you get hit. You have bad moments. You have this, you have that. Jimmy Garoppolo had the ball at the end of the game multiple times and didn't deliver. He made bad decisions. That, that final drive, was it the second drive or the last drive or the second last drive? The drive at the end for the 49ers was like painful to watch because over and over again, he threw throws right into the Seattle Seahawks' hands and they dropped interceptions. And you're like, Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't deserve to win this game. This is not a good performance that you should be proud of. And so the reality to me is against the Seattle Seahawks, Jimmy Garoppolo had two interceptions and a fumble. And all three of those turnovers helped Seattle score. Jimmy Garoppolo, this is very painful. I know you don't like hearing this. Jimmy G is the reason why the 49ers lost the game against the Seattle Seahawks. He cost them big time. He had a fumble that went for a touchdown. He had an interception that gave the Seattle Seahawks great field position. He had another interception that cost them a great field position and gave the Seahawks a good opportunity to score. And so I look at Jimmy Garoppolo and say, he's the weakness of that football team. I understand there were drops. I understand that there's got to be better execution on offense. But Jimmy Garoppolo gave that game away with mistakes. Um, and you got to be able to overcome the drops. You got to be able to overcome that. His decision-making needed to be better. Yes, you can blame drops. They were a problem. But Jimmy Garoppolo's decision-making in big moments on Monday Night Football against the Seattle Seahawks was a problem, and that is why, in my opinion, the 49ers lost to the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, the next question is from Evan. We have two more. We have Evan, Joseph. Do we have more than that? We have Evan, we have Joseph, we have Will. Oh, we have three questions left. Oh my gosh, they're good. Evan writes in, he said, Evan says, hey, Zach, I found you by chance a couple months ago, and I could not believe I found a sports show based out of my backyard. I'm from Ridgefield. Hey, man, awesome. Welcome to the show. Uh, I live by Vancouver Mall now. Glad you, glad you listen to the show. Uh, I am a Seahawks fan, and I'm torn on how to feel about this Josh Gordon acquisition. I wanted to see your opinion on the Josh Gordon pickup, given your take on work ethic versus physical gift on the podcast from uh, October 4th. I don't remember what I said. Oh, I guess the point of that was that physical talent's overrated when talent doesn't work hard. Do you think that the more player-friendly culture of Seattle will be a better fit for Josh Gordon and we will finally see his true potential, or will this be yet another underwhelming stop for Gordon? Uh, first of all, I want to say Josh Gordon already has had a big impact in Seattle. Against the 49ers, he had multiple catches on third down where you're like, I, I, I was watching the game with my, my, all my family, and I was like, you know, the minute Josh Gordon walked out, I was like, oh, there goes the 49ers new Ferrari, the, the Seahawks new Ferrari. I was like, that's the Seahawks new sports car. I was like literally making jokes. I was like, that guy, he better make an impact. And then he did nothing for a long time. You know, he was putting the game very sparingly. And I was like, is Josh Gordon ever going to make an impact? And then towards the end of the game on third down, the Seattle Seahawks realized we're getting man coverage with Josh Gordon. We're going to take advantage of that matchup. And he had three, I think three, three or four like crucial catches on third down where he delivered against man coverage. So right off the bat, bam, Josh Gordon already had a huge impact, helped them win one game this year. 
if that's all he does, that's great. Remember Percy Harvin a couple years ago with the Seahawks? His like one game all year that was great was a Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos. Maybe that was Josh Gordon's Super Bowl moment where this one game needed help in this matchup. We beat the 49ers. There you go. Um, but I think Seattle's a great spot for him. A lot of people make jokes that, you know, weed is legal in Seattle. Uh, you also realize weed is legal in uh, Boston. Like, and, and oh, I, I really, I, I probably, um, the, the, how do I, how do I say this better so I don't get in trouble? The vitamins, the, uh, the, uh, the goods are available in Seattle. And so I don't think that they're available. <laughs> I'm getting thrown off. I'm trying to change the word to sound smart and sound cute. Um, the goods are available in Boston. The, th- the thing that Josh Gordon struggles with, they're also available in Seattle. You can, it's not like he had a problem with them in Boston. He had some kind of problem. They got rid of him. But I don't think that the goods are the issue that's going to hold Josh Gordon back in Seattle. Uh, he gets tested all the time, and it was available the last place he played. So the thing that, to me that is he needs love. He needs constant attention. He needs help, and it's a work ethic thing. Does Josh Gordon stay motivated? I think if there's any place that Josh Gordon can be successful in the NFL, it's with the Seattle Seahawks, with Russell Wilson, with Pete Carroll, in this heavily player-friendly environment where they care about him. They're more than just the the player. They're the person. I think Seattle is a perfect spot for Josh Gordon. And if he cannot succeed in Seattle with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, I don't think Josh Gordon's going to ever work in the NFL uh, I think it's a home run for them. They got a great player who's in a great spot, and they're going to give him a lot of support and love. I think Josh Gordon personally is a home run. I don't know if it works long term. It might be a one year deal, and then he just has a problem and fizzles out. Let's be honest about Josh Gordon. He's had he's had problems for a long time. However, he seems pretty serious about making this football thing work. He wants to make the money. Uh, he wants to have a good career. I think I think Josh Gordon is buying in, and. He works with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was very vocal. I think Russell Wilson wanted Josh Gordon. That's got to make Josh Gordon feel good. And he's already made an impact. So I think Josh Gordon to the Seahawks, long story short, it's a home run. And I cannot wait to watch how the season unfolds with Josh Gordon in Seattle. Okay, Joseph writes in. Joseph is very short, very short and very simple. He says, Minshew versus Nick Foles. As a Jags fan, I prefer Nick, but a lot of people are pushing for Minshew. Um, look, Gardner Minshew is an incredible quarterback. Gardner Minshew is uh, a sixth round pick who came out of nowhere and played great, like, like far better than anybody expected. And I think that Gardner Minshew is going to be an NFL quarterback for a long time. His habits, his traits, his accuracy, his footwork, everything he does is it's too hard. Like some team's going to want him if not as a starter, as a backup. And he'll, he's going to have a 10, 15 year career in the NFL. Literally Gardner Minshew is going to work. He has worked. But the reality is that the Jacksonville Jaguars spent a ton of money to get Nick Foles. The, the politics of sports here, they matter. Um, and Gardner Minshew, was, the team was four and six with Gardner Minshew. It's not like, like Gardner Minshew was playing well, playing very good. But the team wasn't winning. Winning would have solved all of Gardner Minshew's issues. <laughs> and Gardner Minshew even had a quote. He said, I think I proved that I can play in the NFL for a long time. I agree. But the Jaguars, if they were 8-2 and two, and Gardner Minshew was playing the same way he is now, no way they bench him. But they weren't winning. They weren't winning, and they're paying a lot of money to another quarterback. The Jaguars had to go with Nick Foles. It's just, it's bad business if you don't. Because you got to figure out what you have with Nick Foles before you pay him or keep him for another year. And so, um, and I think, you know, Gardner Minshew had opportunities and could have been a little bit better down the stretch. So, look, I... It's, it's painful. It's unfortunate um, that Gardner Minshew got benched. But they're paying Nick Foles a lot of money. He's the guy they invested in for their future. They got to figure out what they have. The, the one scenario I want to you know, relate this to is um, when Tony Romo got hurt, Dak Prescott came out of nowhere and played really good and good enough to win a lot of games. But Dak Prescott went 13-3. and three. The reason why Dak Prescott was never replaced was because he was winning games. Gardner Minshew wasn't winning games but playing very well. If he'd won games, he wouldn't have been replaced. That's the honest truth. But because they weren't winning and they're paying a lot of money to another guy, the Jaguars felt like they had to, and I think rightfully so, had to go with Nick Foles. Okay, my final question is from Will. It's about Joe Burrow. Will says, hey, Zach, 
As everyone that pays any sort of attention to college football knows, Joe Burrow is a front runner for the Heisman. What changed in Joe Burrow and what does he do differently from last year to this year that turned him from an average quarterback to an elite quarterback? Right off the bat, uh, what stands out to me about Joe Burrow is his mechanics are better. He uses his legs more, he uses his core to throw the ball, and he made his arm strength better. Like his arm is stronger literally this year than it was last year because he's got more refined, more compact, and better mechanics. It's a huge deal. It speaks to the preparation and the work that Joe Burrow did in the offseason between last year and this year. He's also improved his footwork. Uh, he's a grad student, which means he doesn't, I don't think he does a lot of school. He's, he was very candid. He did an interview last year where Joe Burrow said, I transferred to LSU to play football. I'm here as a grad student. I don't go to school very often. I'm here to play football. He treats himself like a professional athlete. And it shows. Joe Burrow's preparation's unbelievable. And then they got this new coach, Joe Brady, from the Saints, who really opened up the offense. But you, you know, a lot of people in, in, that watch Joe Burrow from afar and don't do their homework. A lot of people want to talk about how Joe Burrow's been helped a lot by Joe Brady. Joe Burrow is good because he got better coaching, yada, yada. And I understand how on the surface it looks like that because they throw the ball more now. They've got better matchups. But the truth of the matter is that it's more than coaching that's made Joe Burrow successful. He has bought in. He's fully invested. He's mastered that offense. Joe Burrow knows exactly where to go with the ball every single time. It's like a kid who, um, Joe Burrow is a guy who wanted to succeed, and he found a coach who could help him, and Joe Burrow has bought in completely. Just said, I will do whatever you want me to do. I want to win, and I want to become a great quarterback. He's maybe the most coachable quarterback I've seen in a long, like since, you know, the, the Tom Brady comparison is made, Joe Burrow's the next Tom Brady. I've heard people say that a lot. <clears throat> and I think the one similarity they have is that Joe Burrow and Tom Brady are both very coachable. To this day, Joe, how old is Tom Brady? Like 42, 43? Some, some, Joe Burrow, is he 44? How old is Tom Brady? Is he 47? <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, Tom Brady is a veteran quarterback. He's the greatest of all time. He's been around for years. You will still, if you watch a Patriots practice to this day, he still gets yells at. He still gets yelled at. Tom Brady gets yelled at in practice, and he takes it. He takes the criticism. He learns from it and becomes a better quarterback. Joe Burrow is one of the most coachable quarterbacks I think we've ever seen. The way he's taken a coach, Joe Brady, who wanted to help him, and fully invested and became a great quarterback with better mechanics, which made his arm stronger, better footwork, which made him more accurate, a complete mastery of this offense where he knows exactly where to go with the ball every single time. He knows his third option, his fourth option. Based on the coverage, I like this matchup, I like that matchup. Joe Burrow is dominating because of his work ethic, because he's bought in, because he's been willing to accept criticism and make the changes necessary even if they hurt his ego, he's been willing to make the changes necessary to become an elite quarterback. That is why Joe Burrow is so much better this year than he was last year. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. That is all I have. Thank you so very much. I want to end the show with a story. Uh, there was once a young man named Zach Schaumler. That's me. Uh, and three years ago, his younger brother, my younger brother, I don't know why, I don't know why I started with some story. Three years ago, my younger brother took his life. And it's the most painful, most difficult thing I've ever been through. And through that experience, I learned two really painful lessons. I learned one that um, if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, my brother never asked for help. He never reached out to anybody. He never shared his pain. He suffered in silence. And one day I went home and my brother was dead on the floor. And that's painful. He took his life. And nobody knew he was struggling with that. So the suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. So if you're struggling, please go get help. But there's another side to all of this. My brother never got help. He never asked for help. Uh, no one knew he was struggling. So if you're struggling, go get help. But the other side was my perspective. I didn't do a good enough job making it clear to my brother I was there for him, that if he needed help, I would support him, that he could talk to me. 
I only had surface level conversations with my brother. We talked about sports and video games and football and girls and uh, not even girls, not even like, like, oh, that girl's cute. We never got in depth of like, because he went through a breakup and I never asked him, how was, how are you? Like how really, like seriously, how are you? How's your life? Me and my brother never had really in-depth conversations. I never broke down that wall. And so I encourage you, don't be afraid to have deep conversations and make it very clear to the people in your life. Tell them you love them. Your best friends, your family, your mom, your dad, your girlfriend, your, your cat, what, what, literally whatever it is. If something or someone means a lot to you, make it clear to them how much they mean to you. Tell the people in your life you love them. Make it clear you're there for them and that if they are struggling, if they're having a hard time, they can come talk to you, that your door is open and they can always come have a conversation with you. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much. I hope you have a great day. Enjoy college football this weekend and take care.